Hi, I'm Jayant Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is the second part of our short series on the science Nobel prizes, those awarded for physics, chemistry, and physiology or medicine. So we covered medicine in our last episode, which you can find a link for along with this podcast if you're listening from our website or on the episode list if you happen to be listening elsewhere. Our expert guest for today is the same, that's TV Venkateshwaran, and he's a senior scientist at Vigyan Prasar based in New Delhi. So we covered the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine in our last episode and we move on now to physics and chemistry. So to start with chemistry first, yeah, which is uh, which is actually a very different case because we've been we've been talking about the the medicine uh, the, the Nobel Prize for Medicine which which is you know a very textbook case of uh, scientists building upon the work of each other and you know this takes uh, it takes almost a generation for this yeah, kind of exactly. Exactly. Um, for the science to be implemented mm-hmm. the nobel prize for chemistry in fact is something uh, far more recent uh, very cutting edge yeah uh, uh, pun intended because it is it is for a, for what's called a, a genetic scissor uh, but that and that's about as much as i know about it so i'll, I'll let you explain the concept of it what is this uh, genetic scissor what is this um, Okay. See, actually, how this uh, discovery came itself is a very interesting story. Okay, I mean, uh, the, the story starts with a person who is not part of the uh, uh, Nobel winners, but uh, within the uh, scientific circles and uh, people uh, with uh, scientific background mind, there is a huge debate going on that perhaps this person has been overlooked. Uh, this person uh, is uh, actually uh, 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 Spanish, uh, Mojica. Okay. Right. So when Mojica was uh, a student about uh, uh, 1980s, I mean in uh, early 1980s, uh, he was working on uh, uh, bacteria which thrive in high saline condition. So he was uh, trying to find out how those bacteria are able to manage the salt stress. Okay. So that's also again the early periods of uh, molecular uh, biology. So he was looking at uh, the genetic information in uh, this uh, bacteria. Okay, so this is what happened. What he found was that this bacteria was having some of these bacteria were having a very interesting uh, kind of a, a genetic structure within them. In the whole genome, there were parts of it which are very interesting. Uh, let's take a word like a Malayalam. Okay, uh, yeah. in English, of course, you write it in English. You can uh, spell it from this uh, uh, front ways or backwards. It's uh, it's the uh, same, right? Yeah. So this is called a palindrome, right? Yeah. So basically, what he found was that there were lots of palindromes in uh, palindromic uh, sequences in uh, uh, the virus. I mean, the kind of virus that he was. I'm sorry, the bacteria that he was uh, examining, the salt uh, uh, resistant uh, bacteria that uh, he was examining. One thing you know is that when you are a bacteria, your genetic information is so low. Uh, uh, evolution would take care uh, to ensure that uh, you don't have the luxury of having uh, wasteful stuff in your genome. You know, I mean, uh, like, uh, for example, if you have a very big house, I mean, you can collect things and then keep it. But if you are living in a very small place, uh, now and then you have to chuck out something outside, right? I mean, you can't keep everything inside. 
in fact even big libraries uh, call out books and throw it away when it becomes uh, impossible to maintain them uh, if the racks are overflowing right so in the same way the bacteria would not be able to keep all the things that uh, it has and so he was wondering that why this uh, palindromic sequences which seems to be making no sense are inside this uh, bacteria he uh, was wanting to have money to do studies etc he didn't get he didn't get enough support but still because of his own passion he continued to work on it what he found interesting thing was that between two palindromic sequences there were uh, some genetic sequences which were like part of the viruses which attack the bacteria you and i get a viral attack we get a common cold sneeze so virus will attack every living stuff there are virus which attacks plants there are virus attacks uh, animals there are virus which attacks uh, bacteria okay so what he found that whenever a bacteria is attacked by a virus the vi- uh, the bacteria uh, takes the part of a virus and keeps it between this uh, palindromic sequence it's like a wanted poster next right. time the same virus or same type of virus comes inside that particular bacteria there is a, a system inside the bacteria called as guide rna which compares and then takes this bacterial genome i'm sorry this invading viral genome to the uh, uh, bacteria's mechanism shows it that this is a invading virus then there is a enzyme in bacteria called as cas9 not only cas9 there are many other enzymes of course uh, uh, mojika did not find the cas9 but he found enzymes which can actually cut the uh, invading virus genome okay once the viral genome is cut it's like uh, earlier times uh, we used to have this uh, uh, tape recorder tape right i mean once you cut the tape i mean you cannot play it okay right so in the same way the uh, uh, virus will not be able to replicate and then uh, 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 cause damage the virus will be like uh, inactivated completely that's okay. the, that's a thing that he found uh, uh, basically somewhere around 1993 uh, he established some of these important aspects okay then comes these two people who are uh, been awarded nobel prize now uh, emmanuel uh, charpentier and uh, jennifer uh, downna okay so uh, the story actually starts from uh, charpentier the charpentier uh, uh, was uh, also you know came to know about this uh, palindromic sequences so she started working on it then she uh, collaborated with uh, uh, downna who had a technical capacity to work on uh, uh, genomes so they both combined and then they found that you can actually do the same thing that a bacteria is doing in a test tube let me explain right. it in a very simple way let's assume sure. that uh, you have a, a word document okay you have uh, typed uh, lots of stuff okay uh, assume that in that uh, let's say about 600 pages you have written a novel okay and you have put some character name with some name okay after you finished your work suddenly uh, you realize that that character name is not a good idea i need to change that name. so how do you do it will you read through pages and pages and correct everywhere you might miss few right so what do we do today i mean if you are using a word or one of those kind of uh, software you go to a function called find and replace 
so actually there are three three uh, uh, action taking place there is a find there is a cut and there is a replacement okay so there are uh, three things which are happening so in the same way what uh, uh, charpentier and uh, downer proved is that you can create a artificial system where in any genome you can find a place cut that uh, part of genome i mean one small part of the genome and replace it with some other new genome so something like a find and replace so this uh, find and replace will have uh, three three aspects so one uh, find uh, that uh, that uh, happens because of uh, rna called as uh, cr rna which is like crispr rna okay uh, uh, one one rna then uh, uh, your uh, cut takes place because of a enzyme called cas9 and then finally the replacement is taking place because of a trace rna so there are three three uh, tools in it two uh, three aspects in it so what these people, people uh, found was that you can actually do that on a test tube so they demonstrated it uh, somewhere around uh, 2011 2012 of course things have improved much beyond that now we know more than cas9 we know also many other kinds of enzymes which can do that kind of a uh, cutting okay so uh, uh, those things have happened that's a, a different story altogether but this is a, this is a first establishment of how a theoretical knowledge about how the uh, bacterial immune system works you can use it to develop a gene editing tool so now this is called as a gene editing tool the crispr uh, uh, cas9 for which they are given is called as a gene editing tool there are many other editing tools uh, like uh, same way i mean people have developed different uh, 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 editing tools so this with this you can actually do a gene editing today something like for example in a word document with the find and replace you can do uh, editing right so in the same way uh, uh, you can do uh, uh, gene editing today with this technology so the nobel prize award has essentially gone to uh, the tool that uh, they have uh, developed that's uh, that's also what uh, the uh, nobel prize uh, citation also mentions right so uh, it's not as if they're using the same type of bacteria that was uh, that was discovered as you said in the 90s to do this they're just using the mechanism it's using the mechanism because you don't know you need to use uh, bacteria at all for example in the crispr cas9 you won't be using any bacteria you'll be using this uh, three uh, molecules you know like uh, crrna then uh, the yeah. cas9 enzyme and uh, the uh, trace rna okay depending on the kind of material that you are working with for example if you are working with bacteria then you'll be using the bacterial rna if you are using something else you'll have to use you no know? and so but essentially these three uh, molecular uh, product is what you are using to do this uh, uh, find and replace of course so you can also you calling it as cut and paste okay so cut and paste has only one thing it cuts and then paste something but here actually it's also uh, uh, all the three aspects uh, finding uh, cutting it away and replacing it with uh, some new uh, genetic material is what you can do here precisely right. uh, very very precisely right so you're extracting the rna or the enzymes from these organisms that can do this cutting now now uh, for example this uh, enzymes you can produce artificially in your uh, uh, laboratory i mean you don't need to uh, develop i mean you don't need to extract it from 
basically your knowledge came from that how the molecular uh, mechanism works okay at a genetic level you are using that knowledge to develop a tool so that tool has been developed now right so uh, just before we quickly move on from this uh, what are some of the i mean of course this is very uh, as i said very very cutting edge very advanced yeah uh what are some of the applications uh, that um, you know that that you can see for this yeah yeah you you are absolutely right i mean like uh, the applications are uh, mind boggling what people are talking about are mind boggling uh, in fact uh, most uh, newspapers and media reports talked about uh, how in future you can eliminate uh, genetic disease you know i mean you have a baby born with uh, let's say a genetic disorder essentially it means that in the genome uh, there are some spelling mistakes yeah uh, wrong kind of uh, uh, alphabets are over there that's all it's like uh, some spelling mistake in your uh, uh, in your word document you have misspelled a particular word in multiple places right uh, uh, so same way uh, you edit it right you simply uh, find that uh, spelling mistake replace it with the correct uh, spelling that's it right so in the same way people are saying that uh, tomorrow using the same technology not necessarily cas9 many other uh, 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 enzymes and many many other such gene editing tool that you can uh, correct uh, the genetic disorders in uh, people so uh, uh, you can uh, fight against uh, genetic disease in a huge way many of the genetic diseases are really very appalling right right uh, your living condition becomes uh, really very very terrible so you can uh, remove some suffering from uh, uh, life that's uh, that's a futuristic uh, uh, thoughts which are going on uh, as of now uh, 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 gene editing in human being is uh, not uh, permitted or encouraged uh, although there are uh, let's say urban legends which say that uh, underground people are doing things like that but uh, practically it's not that easy so it's not something that is uh, uh, permitted and approved uh, anywhere in the world because we need to uh, tread cautiously but on the other hand uh let's say for example you want to produce insulin okay uh today also we are doing something like that uh we have created a genetically modified bacteria uh, which actually secretes uh, insulin right uh, basically uh, you are using the same molecular mechanism to produce a uh, chemical uh, any our body is producing multiple chemical for example human body produce something close to about uh, uh, 40 lakh kinds of uh, proteins i mean insulin is also one kind of a protein right so right. chemical factory in a sense if you if you look at it a uh, chemical factory with uh, very little uh, environmental pollution one can say so so now you can develop a genetically modified bacteria where you are more sure of what you are getting okay so you can inject the uh, right kind of uh, uh, gene sequence for producing human insulin uh, you collect that uh, gene from uh, human and then insert it into a bacteria then you will get uh, uh, insulin which is uh, suitable for human uh, that kind of work one can do for example right so this kind of applications are uh, potential i mean medical field uh, uh, that there is a huge potential for it people are also talking about uh, genetically modifying uh, plants in a way that uh, it can uh, uh, protect itself from uh, vagaries of nature you know i mean high saline uh, land uh, water stressed area plants which can survive some of these things are uh, futuristic uh, uh, thoughts which are there about this particular uh, technology right 
Right, yeah, that's that's all so fascinating. And um, just to move on to the final uh-huh. one, uh, the final prize, which is which is physics. Uh-huh. So I think so. Uh, this is for, of course, uh, various research into black holes, uh-huh. which um, you know, um, people have been talking about black holes for a long time. I think even uh-huh. the Nobel Committee acknowledges that uh-huh. uh, it's been a kind of a bedrock of science fiction, uh, uh-huh. you know, space films, etc., for a very long time. Yeah. Um, so. Is this a case of basically a theory that is work on a theory that is step by step been confirmed? Uh-huh. Yeah. So basically, uh, if you look at it, I mean, uh, the prize is uh, awarded to three people, but it is divided uh, into a half. So one and a half is uh, going to uh, Roger Penrose. The remaining half, uh, two people are sharing. That's how uh, the Nobel Prize has been given. Uh, whereas, for example, in the uh, medicine field, uh, the three people are sharing it equally, one-third, one-third, one-third. Okay, so here it's not actually one-third. So because it's uh, two separate areas which are interrelated, which are uh, given a uh, uh, Nobel Prize this time in physics. Uh, to uh, Penrose for uh, establishing theoretically the uh, existence of black hole, the theoretical existence of black hole, that it is possible according to physical laws that we know today. That's that's major uh, discovery of uh, Penrose. Uh, I'll come to Penrose a bit later. I'll uh, talk about uh, these two people uh, uh, now. Uh, it is uh, uh, Jensel and uh, Gaze, these two people. What they did is something very, very interesting. Uh, they established that there is actually a supermassive black hole at the center of Milky Way. The uh, mass of that uh, supermassive black hole is 4 million times of our sun. Okay, 4 million times. Uh, uh, something close to 4 crore times of uh, mass of the sun. That's sitting at the center of uh, uh, our uh, black hole. How did they prove that? You can't see a black hole. Okay, so you have to prove it kind of in an indirect way. Uh, let's take, for example, uh, Earth and sun. Okay, assume that you can't see sun. Uh, let's say you are in a space and then you are looking at the solar system. For some reason, you are not able to see sun. There is something blocking you from seeing the sun. But you are able to observe Earth. You are able to observe Earth. You are able to calculate the distance between Earth and sun. And you are also able to calculate the mass of Earth. Okay. Then if you do this, then it's very, very simple to calculate the mass of sun. Uh, in a very simple way, if I have to explain, uh, let's take, uh, uh, for example, a ruler. Okay. Uh, uh, let's say one feet ruler about 30 centimeters okay you put uh, let's say 100 100 grams on both sides both edges you keep your uh, finger uh, in the middle somewhere around 15 centimeter then your uh, uh, ruler will be balanced on your finger right i mean because weight on both sides are same suppose if i increase weight on one side instead of 100 grams i make it 200 gram then i need to move my uh, point center point towards the heavier object, right? So, which will mean that the distance between the center of gravity and the object which is rotating will increase. So, in, in a very simple way, I mean, in the, uh, uh, one can calculate the mass of uh, uh, the central object around which another object is rotating. So, if I want to find the mass of uh, the center of our uh, Milky Way, I need to find the object which is going around the uh, Milky Way Closer to it, if you take it very far, many other forces will act, act on it. So you need to find a, a star which is closer to uh, the center of Milky Way and find out its uh, orbital characteristic. 
So what these people found is uh, a star called S2. That's how it is uh, given a name, S2, uh, which is uh, uh, basically 400 times the Earth-Sun distance from the center of Milky Way. Okay, 400 times. 400 yeah. times is actually very huge. But when you are talking about the center of Milky Way, it's not very, very far off. It's uh, just uh, 60 billion uh, kilometers away from the center of uh, Milky Way. Okay, they found a star. They started observing it from 1992, and then they were able to calculate its uh, period, the time it takes for it to uh, go around the center of Milky Way. From that, compute the mass of the Milky Way. The mass of the Milky Way, they found, is uh, from this computation, they found is 4 million times the mass of Sun. And uh, imagine 4 million Sun sitting inside less than 400 times the earth sun distance okay uh, uh, something like about 100 times the earth sun distance you know i mean something that that order so right. it means that it has to be very very dense very very dense if an object is that dense then it can be nothing but uh, uh, black hole right i mean so physics tells you that it has to be nothing but black hole and that's what precisely roger penrose proved that uh, if the density is what matters you know, I mean, the total mass and what is the size of that object, then it can create singularity, then that would become a black hole. That's what uh, Roger Penrose had actually theoretically predicted. Uh, uh, from the Roger Penrose uh, prediction, if we take our sun and crush it to the size of a lime, I'm sorry, uh, crush it to the size of a lemon, roughly right. about, uh, three centimeters uh, in radius, then our sun can become a black hole. Okay. Before uh, before Roger Penrose, there were speculation about a kind of black hole. They were not calling it as black hole. They were calling it as a dark star. So they thought that suppose if a star is really huge, you know, uh, uh, something like uh, a lakh time bigger than our sun, then that huge mass will create such a huge gravity on its surface that light cannot escape. So they were yeah. looking at uh, uh, only... Uh, uh, huge stars, they were calling it as dark star. That is where the Roger Penrose came and played a very important role to uh, figure out how the singularity can occur. Okay, where the laws will completely cease to exist. Beyond singularity, uh, uh, usual physical laws, you cannot apply and do any physics. That's what he established. The theoretical finding was from uh, Roger Penrose and the practical demonstration that there is actually a massive black hole uh, came from these two people. That's how they got uh, this award. Sir, thank you. That was uh, that was a fascinating description of all three of the prizes, and I think in a very relatable and understandable way too. So, uh, thank you so much for giving us your time today and joining us for the In Focus podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.